listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. James chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, James chapter 5. Verse 12 is where we left off last week. Last week, we looked at um, James's instruction to the Jewish believers as in, in, his, in his theme that has been ongoing, how do we face trials and difficulties? We believe that James has, has laid out in, a, in a, a nice package, he's laid out some ways that we are to face what he calls trials of various kinds. Now, these aren't the, the, the things that we create for ourselves. These aren't consequences of our actions, but these are trials that come into our life, and they can come through a, a host of different ways and through a, a myriad of, of different avenues. They're difficulties that we face in life. And James says that we are to face these with the understanding that God is using those very things that we're praying and asking him to remove. God is using those things to test our faith and to build endurance. So if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be surprised when you fall into trials of various kinds. Because God is allowing these things to come into your life, not to hurt you. And they're certainly not, uh, certainly some. Some of the things are not his holy will because a lot of them are rooted in the sinful actions of others, but God's sovereignty can, can move over those things and use what are actually bad things for our good. And he says, you need to expect God to do that. And here's how we are to, to engage these trials. First, he says, engage these trials with joy. What? We're supposed to embrace trials with joy. That makes no sense at all. Except when we recognize that the things that we are facing in this life are temporary. That God is sovereign over them. And when we know that, that the engagement with these trials and leaning in faith on Christ, that those things are going to build up our faith and are going to make us stronger for his glory, then we can... In the same way that we get up and go on to the gym, knowing that it's going to be a hot time, knowing it's going to cause us to sweat and create soreness in us, we go anyway. Why? Because we're wanting to build and strengthen our body. James says, engage trial, embrace trials with joy. And then he takes the long section from chapter number two all the way through chapter, the beginning part of chapter number five, saying and teaching us how that we are to embrace and engage trials through obedience. He gives us several ways in which people run into difficulties and the natural way of of, uh, engaging those things is to act in a natural way, in a sinful way, in a way that we react and we're uh, trying to self-preserve. And James gives us several ways in which we are to see the difficulties we face need to be addressed and embraced with obedience. And there are a number of things in there. In fact, everything that we learn from chapter 2 all the way through the beginning part of chapter 5, we could clearly say, yep, I faced that. 
And yeah, I actually react to it in the way I shouldn't. And so all in all of those opportunities, we're learning how to obediently step into difficulty, especially when it's counterintuitive, when it goes against what we would normally do. And then last week, James kind of takes us in a different direction when he shows us how that in, 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 first, uh, in, in James chapter 5, that we're to embrace or engage trials and difficulties with patience. Just if you'll recall what we ended last week on is that, that old 1930s British sign that is now a, uh, a common, normal, contemporary meme, but the, the crown at the top of the sign followed by keep calm and carry on. Now it's keep calm and drink coffee or keep calm and what. So they've taken that. But in that time of, of, of great crisis in Britain, the posters were there for people to, to rally behind them. We're going to live our life. We're going to keep calm and we're going to carry on. And that's what James tells us. When we face difficulties, we need to embrace them with patience. And we do that by strengthening our hearts in the word of God, through the spirit of God, with the people of God. We do that when we refuse to grumble, complain, and blame. And then today we're going to see how through that patience, we decide how our words are going to define us. James chapter number five, verse number 12 says this. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. One verse. One verse is all we're going with today in James. We're going to go to a couple of places in Matthew to try to get some context, but this is only one verse there. Why? Because this is a hard verse. Not, not only in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. You remember I told you that that was a hard passage. It's hard because it hits us between the eyes, and it's hard because it's difficult to understand why James is saying what he said. That's what's going on in this verse. It is hard to wrap our Western minds around what James is saying. Above all, don't swear by heaven or earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes, your no, no. So that you may not fall under condemnation. That sounds like a pretty strong warning. And, and, and what is he talking about and how am I to apply that to my life? It's going to be difficult. And can I just tell you, I'm going to share with you to the best of my ability what I think James is saying. But I'll go ahead and tell you up front. If you pick up a commentary off the shelf of guys that are way smarter than I am, that know the, the Greek uh, text way better than I do, that know the, the background and the history you're going to find as many opinions as to why James is saying this as you pull books off the shelf because this is just hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard because it's not, it's not something that we wrestle with in our culture and it's hard because we're not really sure why James is saying this at this time. But to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to bring to you what I think he's saying. And I've got the opinions of several and I'm kind of having to piece them together. But that's our goal is just to try to understand why he said what he said and how we can apply it to our life. We're going to answer three questions. The first one is what kind of swearing is James talking about? 
And then we're going to ask the question, what does James mean by above all? Why, why is he saying above, above all what? And then we're going to say, why does James warn against condemnation? And then the last question is, how do we apply this? So why is James saying this? Why is it above all? Why is he talking about communication? And then how do we apply it? Okay, so let's just jump in with both feet. Number one, why or what is James talking about when he's talking about swearing? Well, it's certainly not what we call swearing. What is that? Illicit speech, dirty talk, double entendre, filthy jokes, and profanity. That's not what James is talking about, though you've probably had your grandmother to quote this verse to you when you've let your mouth get away from you, okay? But don't fret over the fact that, well, that means we can say whatever we want to. No, let's look at Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. It says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Not only that, Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. We're not talking about cussing today. We're not talking about dirty jokes today. We're not talking about things that are improper. But God does talk about that in Ephesians. So if you got potty mouth, clean it up. Okay? Now, moving on. That's not what he's talking about. But he does talk about that elsewhere. What James seems to be doing is taking something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and reminding the people of something Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus also said something a little later on in the same gospel to a group of people who was doing what Jesus talked about on the Sermon on the Mount, but were doing it in a very specific way. Let's look at those. Because what James says is important. Because James is, is, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and those words are as valid. But if Jesus says it, we need to pay really, really close attention. Matthew chapter number 5, verse 33. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Now, when Jesus says that, he's not, quite, he's not saying you've heard it in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, you have heard that the teachers of the law have interpreted the law this way to the generations who came before you. you. You know what this looks like because, again, making reference back to grandparents, you have some interpretations of certain scriptures because of what they've been taught to you by those that have come before you. And it's a, it's a daunting day when you discover, oh, man, being unequally yoked is not about being in a marriage relationship with another race. Yeah, we live in the South, and you don't, can't believe how many times I've heard that. Oh, no, you can't, you can't interracially marry because you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. I just want to smile and just slap that person. It's like, no, that's not even remotely correct, but... That's kind of what Jesus is doing. You've heard that it was said to those that came before you. He says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you can
cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Here's what Jesus is saying. You've heard that God's prohibition of taking his name in vain. That doesn't mean cussing God's name, though it would certainly apply. When God says, don't take my name in vain, he's saying, don't be flippant with my name and the things that you say. Specifically, when it comes to making vows or taking oaths. So you've heard it said by those who've taught the law, don't swear by God's name. Because you don't want to run risk of taking it in vain. And also, God expects you to fulfill anything you vow in his name. So don't do that. But if you want to make a vow that's a little less um, in your face, you could swear by heaven. Because that's a little vague. Not saying God. You could swear by earth because Well, I mean, God is sovereign over the earth, but it's not God's name. And we're a little less on the hook. Swear by Jerusalem. That sounds good. It's, it's, it's a holy city, but it's not. Or swear by the throne or by the altar. And Jesus says, look, you've heard it taught that I'm telling you, don't swear at all by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or, or, or anything because God's over it all. Look, just be truthful with your words, yes or no, and let them stand for themselves. You see, in this oath-driven society, people were assuming that you're dishonest unless you swear, swear by the name of the Lord that you're telling the truth. Okay, well, okay. So it bred a society that was typically deceptive. Now in that, we can find great relevance in our society. We live in a society where we don't trust anybody you know what what is it that you say before you go into an interaction with someone make sure you get that in Uh uh-huh because this right here yes sir i'll pay you that and that handshake doesn't mean a thing in our society so we get the the notion of dishonesty But Jesus is speaking to those who would follow Messiah, those who would be living their life in line with the way Messiah led, kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused. He said, let let oaths be something you don't do anymore. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. The rabbinic tradition, one of the authors I read behind gave this lengthy um, explanation of the rabbis. And the Jews in that day, as a result of the rabbi's teaching, had created a complex system of oaths and vows. Now, now, let me back up for a second. Don't think that oaths and vows by themselves are wrong. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are a number of oaths that God led his people to make. Will you respond by taking this oath? Do you, you know, choose you this day whom you'll serve, the God of heaven or the gods of your fathers? And, and that was a, a type of oath. As for me and my house, we will serve, Joshua said who? 
We'll serve the Lord. So that is a kind of an oath. And there were other things that God even led his people to do. And, and, and it wasn't that taking an oath was wrong. It was the flippant idea. And that through the, uh, the teachings of the rabbis, this complex system of how to make an oath made it possible for you to sound like you're truthful, but have a trap door by which you can get out of what you just promised. It looks like what we do. Do you promise? Oh, I promise I'll absolutely do what I told you I will do. And then when you don't, you say, well, I have my fingers crossed. And what do kids do in middle school? You're like, show me your hands. You show your hands and they're sitting like this. And it's like, uncross your legs, you know, uncross your eyes, you know, so it bred this attitude of presenting yourself as truthful and stamping it with an oath, but having no intention whatsoever of following, uh, following through with what you promised. We get that. That's the arena that we live in. So we're not too far from it. Jesus says, don't take those oaths. Let's just read Matthew 23, 16 to 20. Jesus now is talking to the Pharisees, those that are responsible for teaching the people. He says, woe to you, blind guides. Wouldn't you love to have a blind guy, you know, blind guide show up, call for an Uber. He show up with dark glasses on, like, you can't see where you're going. It's like, no, I just point it in a direction and go. It's like, yeah, I'm not riding with you. That's what Jesus basically said, you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, well, he's bound to his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple that, or the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Jesus is saying, y'all are so stupid. You're trying to get around the, the prohibition that God has said, don't make false oaths. You're trying to get around. You're so dumb, you can't even see that you're doing it. Every time you intentionally make an oath, you don't intend to keep. This is the world in which the Jews lived in. The Jewish Christians who came to know Christ brought that same practice into the church. We get that. You know why? Because whenever someone comes to Christ, you know what they bring with them to the body? It's a B word, and it is called baggage. Every follower of Jesus brings baggage with them into the church. And there are unfortunately some churches that when someone comes in to follow Christ with baggage, we stand at the door and go, oh, no, 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 you can't, <laughs> you can't have that baggage and be a part of us. Well, that's ridiculous. That's what the discipleship process is, is helping those folks not know how you see the baggage, but helping them understand what God has taught about freedom from all baggage. It's not about someone 
cutting out something that offends me. It's about us all walking in the light of what God has shown us. So we all come with baggage. And these folks brought baggage with them in this Jewish context that had to do with swearing oaths. And James says, don't forget what Jesus said. That does not need to be in our community. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Look, don't say, oh, yes. And I swear by heaven, I'm telling you. No, no. The redeemed child of God has a new heart and a new nature. Now, your mind might lead you to tell the same old lies you've ever told before because you're still living under the influence of your sinful nature. And so as a follower of Jesus, when it comes time to either put up or shut up, I might in my mind want to bend the truth a little bit to kind of save face and not be embarrassed. But that new heart, that new nature that God has given me is driving me and leading me to be a man of yes or no. And you can count on it because my word is redeemed along with the rest of me. There are people in our communities, in our circles, that will say something to us and will respond by, are you serious? No, no, seriously, are you being truthful right now? And they'll look at you like, well, yeah, why don't you believe me? And the answer to that is obvious. Well, because you've said some things before that haven't exactly been accurate. James says, Let swearing be out of your vocabulary. You don't need to defend your truth. Become someone whose yes means yes and no means no. Here's the second question. What does James mean by above all? So when he says above all, it sounds like this is the most important thing he's saying in this whole book. Well, let's think about it. What is he talking about in this verse? He's talking about the use of our tongue. Again, swearing an oath, saying things that would be inconsistent with the life of the follower of Jesus. So I think what James is doing is saying, above all of those things that I've said about the tongue. Now, let's catch up in our mind because he says something about the tongue in every chapter of this book. Let's look. James 1, 26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So a Christian should, in fact, put a bridle on their tongue because if they don't, their tongue will get away from them. You know this because I've heard so many folks in my life say, well, you know what? That just, they got in my face and next thing I know, I was telling them what for and back around again. Because you know, if you don't keep a bridle on that tongue, that thing will just run and then you will never catch up to it till it gets tired and oh, the, the mess that it's made. Just bridle that tongue. Chapter number two, verse three. He says, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, he's talking about those that come in and they look like they have means versus those who come in and they look like they don't have anything to offer. If you look to those and say, ooh, you look nice today. You sit here. You, you come and sit right here while you say to the poor man, oh, you stand over there. 
You, you stand over there, sit down at my feet. What you're doing is discriminating with your tongue. There should never, ever, ever be discriminatory words come out of the child of God. Now listen to me. If that makes you mad, Oasis Church is probably not going to be somewhere you'd be comfortable because we don't tolerate it. And why we don't tolerate it? Because God does not tolerate it. Discrimination, division over class or skin or any of that kind of garbage, that is sin. He's already said, you can't do that. that. That's not reflective of Jesus. He goes on, chapter number three, verse number two. For if we stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his body. We get it. Verse number five of that same chapter says, so also the tongue is a small member, yes, it, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That gossiping, slandering tongue that talking about and saying things that are out of order will set a fire that you can't put out and it'll burn you up and those around you. A discriminatory tongue, a, a fire flame throwing tongue, a tongue that needs to be bridled. Chapter four, verse 11. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So now I'm speaking evil. That, that actually is talking about slander. I'm, I'm using my tongue to tear down a brother. James chapter 5, verse number 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remember last week we talked about grumbling, talking about complaining and blaming. So we got a tongue that needs to be bridled. We got a tongue that we need to strip of discrimination. We got a tongue that we all stumble in many ways. And we've got a tongue that we need to make sure we're not cutting one another. We got a tongue that'll set the place on fire. And we got a tongue that will grumble and complain and blame. But above all, talking about this tongue, considering all the things you got going on with your tongue, and all the problems you got trying to keep that dumb thing under control, you got no business whatsoever swearing to God that I'm telling the truth. Don't do that, folks. You got no business. You got no grounds for making promises that you are obviously incapable of following through on. So above all, with all the trouble you got with your tongue, do not be using that thing to connect God to the foolishness that's going on in your life. That's what I think he's talking about. I think that's why he says above all, not it's the most important thing, it's just get a bridle on that thing, don't be swearing. Get a bucket of water to pour on that thing, don't be, let that thing see people through the eyes of Jesus, don't be swearing. I think that's what he means. Above all, let your word be something that is helpful. And then he says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Above all, let your word be something 
that is defined by integrity. Let your word be something that, that stands beyond the promises you need. Be somebody whose word is so counted on. Be someone who's got a tongue that's, that's striving to be controlled, that folks can trust you and hear you, and you don't even have to go there. You become a person who's living what they're saying above all. And why does James talk about condemnation? Well, this is tricky. Let your yes be yes, your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, here's what very reputable Greek scholar tells us, is that this word condemnation is never used anywhere else in the New Testament except when it's talking about the condemnation of judgment that God is going to bring on his enemies. And that is a true statement. And he also says the only other time that James uses this word is over in chapter number three, I believe it is, where he's talking about those who don't show mercy will receive no mercy. Mercy overcomes judgment. That seems to be talking about God's judgment on those who have not shown mercy to those around them. But James says, brothers, above all my brothers... And I just want to remind you of a verse in Romans chapter number eight, verse number one, that says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. The judgment, the mighty wrath of God on his enemies is not on the agenda for followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through trials. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through pain, the likes of which we've never experienced. What it says is we will not experience the hand of God's judgment. You know why? Paul did a brilliant job of explaining that God has already brought that hand of judgment on his son, on the cross, in your place, and for your sin. That's the gospel. That God's already poured out his judgment on his son so that we by faith simply trust and embrace him and avoid that judgment because it's already been leveled on Jesus. So at least I know that when James is talking to the brothers, at least I know he's not saying, don't be swearing because you don't want to be out from under the umbrella of your salvation and receive God's condemnation. At least I can say, based on how we understand salvation and its extent, well, that's not what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? I think it goes back to verse number nine in the same chapter. He's talking about grumbling. Don't be complaining and blaming. Embrace trials with patience. Embrace trials knowing that Christ is returning and let that be the thing that you're leaning hard into. Don't be complaining and blaming because the last thing you want to face your Savior when he comes is dealing with the things meant for your good with grumbling, complaining, blaming the judges right there. And I bet basically it's like, son, what are you doing? Why are you complaining? Why are you blaming her? Why haven't you just embraced this thing? I've been using it. I've been trying to build you. Kind of like when mama comes in and you were supposed to have vacuumed the floor, but YouTube seemed much more entertaining. Uh, honey, what do you think you're doing? 
I think that's the same kind of idea. At least that when Jesus returns, the last thing we want from him is you made a bunch of promises you didn't intend to do instead of just being yes or no. What's up with that? What have you missed out on by not just being a person of trustworthiness? I think that's what he's talking about, the condemnation that comes with making an oath you don't intend. And you know what? While we don't live in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament covenant, God still expects us to keep the promises we made. I'll refer you right back to the marriage vows when he says he puts two together. They promise they make that vow. They're together, okay? So God still is concerned about the things we say, even though I don't think we're coming under his condemnation, we're coming under his... uh, judgment as one who loves us and we've got so much to deal with with our tongue we've got so much to deal with when it comes to our tongue agreed we got no business bringing God into the thing that we've been called to bridle and control so so don't do that get oaths out of your way well, how do we apply it? What kind of swearing was James talked about? Well, we think we know. What does James mean by above all? Huh? Pretty sure we have that under control. We're not under the, the wrath of God, but there certainly is consequences to making flippant swears and oaths. How do we apply this? I've got three ways to apply it. Three ways to to apply this. And these are just practical things to think about, every one of us. Number one, don't bargain with God. Here's a a way, you can go ahead. Here's a way that that we bring oaths into our life. You, you You ever heard this or said this? God, I promise, I swear, if you get me out of this, and then you fill in the blank. I'll live for you for the rest of my life. I won't go here ever again, Lord. If you just get me out of this, I swear, I'll serve you. I'll go to India if you want me to. Probably not. Look, don't bargain with God. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. In fact, next week on the heels of this, I think James is going to say, look, don't Don't use your tongue to make unnecessary oaths and vows. Instead, use your tongue in times of difficulty to pray. So come back next week and we'll talk about how we're supposed to use our tongue. Don't bargain with God. If that's a norm for you to go long stretches with God and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a tight spot, hey, hey, Lord, uh, it's me, Kevin, you remember me? Uh, listen, if you'll, if you'll just kind of fix this thing, I'll be back. Look, don't do that. Step into God's grace. You, you remember back what he said in chapter number four? He said, humble yourself before the Lord. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Submit to him. Just, just step into the open arms of God that's waiting on you when you're in that tight spot. And let him just envelop you in love and forgiveness if you'll just admit what you've done is contrary to him. Don't bargain with him. Don't swear you'll do this, that, and the other. He knows your heart. Number two, don't be someone who's always swearing. I swear on a stack of Bibles that I swear to God I'm telling you the truth. 
Boy, I swear on my mama's grave. My mom's not even gone yet. How ridiculous is that? That's morbid. I, I've heard folks say, I swear on my children's grave. Uh-uh. No. Don't be some. Don't be someone who when they say something, the other has to go, do you promise? Because what they're telling us is that our word is untrustworthy. That they don't have the ability to count on it. Don't be someone. If that's norm to your vocabulary, ask God to take that out of it and just remove that need to, to... Put an exclamation point by what you've said. And then lastly, rather, pursue integrity. Pursue integrity. Let your words be truthful and trustworthy. How many of us are are defined by the fact that we say we'll do it and then don't? Every one of us have that person when we're taking sign-ups or we're asking who's on board, who's going to go, and they raise their hand or they sign it. Every one of us has that person in our circle that it doesn't matter if they put their name and their email and their telephone number. We look at it and we go, they're not coming. Well, then, hey, I'll be there, Pastor Kevin. Okay. <laughs> I ain't counting that. Why? Because... You never follow through on what you say. Let's don't be those kind of people. Let's be trustworthy. Certainly let's be truthful. Let's speak the truth. Let's do what we say. Let our yes be yes and our no, no. You know, when we say things and then don't follow through, when we say one thing and do another, you know, that has an effect on the entire body. It has an effect on the entire Christian world. But even more than that, you know who that has an effect on? The reputation and the glory of the one whose yes is always yes. And we're glad it is because we're counting on them promises. And whose no is always no, even though we don't like it. We know he means it. Let us be people of truth and trustworthiness. In the face of difficulties, we'll say all kinds of things. Let's determine in our hearts, we're going to bridle that tongue. We're going to let God hold the reins. Let's let God bring his bucket of water and let him douse the fire of gossip and slander. Let's commit ourselves today with, albeit, a promise. God, I promise that I want you to help me be a man or a woman of truth and trustworthiness. No matter what you send my way, let my words, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Psalm 19, 14, be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. What would it look like if we became a church characterized by truth and trustworthiness. You think we'd have an effect on this community? Where we live, where we work, where we play? I know we will because that's not the norm of our world. So let's go upstream with Jesus. That's where he's leading us. And let's reflect his character in the things we say, the way we say them, how we keep control over the 
a little monster beast in our mouth. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. It's a hard word. God, I confess that uh, there were so many, so many things about that verse that so many of your children just weren't on the same page of. God, I want it to be what you say. Father, whatever, whatever I got wrong, allow that to escape our minds. And what you say, let that be what finds root. God, I pray that you will stir our hearts to be people who are mindful of the power of their tongue, both for good and for evil. And may we want to be people with tongues that reflect your son. God, I pray for for Andy and Susie today as they're going to be baptized as we go out the building, that you'll encourage them, even as they're getting ready right now, that this will be a day that uh, that they'll never forget. And maybe one that, that we are encouraged by together as a family, as a body. God, I pray for our week ahead, for everyone here. You, you know the needs we have. You know the encounters we're going to face. I pray for those that are struggling right now with a, with a trial, varying different ones and, and, and burdens that we're bearing and that we're under. God, I pray that you'll help us to engage them, to embrace them with joy and obedience and patience as we look for those difficulties to build our faith, create endurance in our life. Help us today, Father. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.